back on Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please download, rate, review, share as well. Later on this hour, we will be joined by 10-year NBA vet Tim Legler from ESPN, and we will look around the association as the NBA gets set to tip off its postseason officially tomorrow. And in a couple of minutes' time, head coach of the Detroit Pistons, former Raptors head coach Dwayne Casey, will join us. Uh, Jones, we've got a couple of minutes ourselves right here. Speaking of the playoffs starting tomorrow, we still have play-in games tonight. We'll call them wild cards. They are wild card playoffs. Atlanta and Cleveland, 7.30 tip-off. The winner advances. And, of course, later on tonight, uh, the game between the Pelicans and the Clippers as the winner advances as well. But a key to that game, health and safety protocols for Paul George. He will not play for the Clippers tonight, and that is a massive blow on game day and a huge, huge opening for the Pelicans. Do we have Jonesy? Yes, we do. We yes, we do. Him. Oh, we do. No, we do. I'm, there he is. We, sorry, sorry, sorry. My, um, I work in radio. Hit the mute. Un, unmute. Unmute. Um, e. Smith, uh, I look at the line, and we always talk about how those people that set the lines in Vegas know it just swung mightily when Paul George went out of the lineup for mm-hmm. uh, for the Clippers. And, uh, it, I mean, it was going to be a tough game to begin with. Can the Clippers, who have played a bunch this year, well, the entire year without Kawhi Leonard, and a bunch this year without Paul George, can they get it done? And, and you know, I, I'm going to give you your due here, Eric. You kept calling Cleveland as the team to fall. They got injured. They fell into the play-in. They lost the first game of the play-in. This is their second chance to get in. I, Jared Allen's going to try and come back and play. There's, you know, r- reports that that might happen. Even if he comes back, like look at what he's coming back to. Getting on a moving train. I think Atlanta's going to get in. I think Atlanta's going to be uh, get the eight spot and, and be the team facing Miami. I, I feel badly for Cleveland because they had such a good season and injuries have just taken them down at the end. But, I mean, they do have home court, so let's see how it goes. But um, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards Atlanta in that one. Yeah, as, as am I, and, and not just because I'm trying to pile on the Cavs. You're right. I, I, I have called it for a while, and I wasn't necessarily looking for the pat on the back. But I'll take it, Jonesy, because if nobody else is going to do it, I'll take it from you. But I, I, that said, I still give Cleveland – they're due for the season they had overall and especially individually like I you know to me Darius Garland is right there for for most improved uh in terms of the season he had as an all-star and perhaps perhaps when it comes down to voting for rookie of the year for all the chatter that we have had and rightfully so understandably so for Scotty Barnes getting more love uh and 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 arguably should be getting as much love as Evan Mobley a, K- a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, Jonesy, or somebody that's a uh, you know a true steadfast supporter of Evan Mobley's might say, hey, he proved how valuable he was. He proved the rookie of the year that he is by the way the team struggled in his absence before he ultimately made his return. The fact that he's back now in the postseason and, as you're saying, getting Jared Allen, maybe that ultimately makes a difference, but I don't think it will matter uh, come the actual playoffs if they were to win this game because I think Cleveland will fall over against the Heat. That said, 
maybe Atlanta will too. Like, do you think that Atlanta has enough horsepower, enough scoring power with Trey Young and others to be able to deal with Miami? Um, for a game or two right now, although the postseason is different, um, you know, the, the fact that John Collins is not not up to full speed, I think that mm-hmm. really hurts. Mm-hmm. That really hurts uh, Atlanta. Um, you know, they have that that kind of long athletic lineup, especially in, uh, on the perimeter. But not having John Collins really, really hurts them. So those two play-in games tonight, again, it's Atlanta-Cleveland at 7.30, Pelicans and Clippers going at 10 o'clock Eastern, and then the NBA postseason begins officially tomorrow. 1 o'clock tip with the Jazz and Mavs, 3.30, Timberwolves and Grizzlies. It's the Raptors and Sixers at 6 p.m. Again, game one right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and then the final game, the final of four tomorrow night, 8.30, Denver and Golden State to talk a lot about uh, what we saw this season in the NBA, what we might see in the postseason, and heck, another Rookie of the Year candidate who had a heck of a year for the Detroit Pistons and the head coach of the Pistons joining us right now, Dwayne Casey. Dwayne, always appreciate the time. Tommy, how you doing, buddy? How you doing, Paul? All good, Case. All good, man. Good, good, good. Um, Case, uh, I, I want to uh, pick your coaching brain right away mm-hmm. when you go into a playoff mm-hmm. series and mm-hmm. you're, you're Nick and you've had some success uh, and historical success against a team. Mm-hmm. Do you have that mm-hmm. football mentality where we're going to do it till they stop it or are you leery of what chess piece they might move first? Well, one, <clears throat> one thing that uh, you know, you guys know about the playoffs, Teams are different. They take it to another level in the playoffs. Uh, you know, you're talking about a team like Philly uh, with Embiid, who is one of the MVP, MVP candidates. You talk about James Harden, who hasn't had the best year so far. Uh, is he going to go back to the old James Harden? Uh, and then you have a young man named Max, the young kid Maxi, who, uh, who has really played great this year. Now he could go either way. He could go to have a great playoff series or he could go in rookie mode and, and uh, the light, lights might be too big for him. So, uh, But they have a lot of great pieces, and you could say the same thing about Pascal. Now, is he going to go into playoff mode? And if he does, Philadelphia's in trouble because I think he's been playing some of the great basketball in the entire NBA, uh, you know, and Fred Steady Eddie. So it's going to be a heck of a matchup. Uh, you know, for both teams, you know, uh, Philly has their problems with Toronto, and then Toronto has problems uh, with Embiid slowing him down, and then also if James Harden goes back to uh, the old James Harden. Hey, Dwayne, how much of a challenge is it with any team to get the ultimate buy-in to not only your system, your style, what you're trying to preach and teach as a coach, but then um, the players themselves policing themselves and controlling themselves and following the same path together. And the reason I bring that up is I just think of what we at least, Jones and I both believe, the Toronto team seems to play so unselfishly. And they talk all the time Mm -hmm. about, you know, all for one, one for all, and not caring about individual stats and glory. But how difficult is it to get to that point as a team? Well, it's it's difficult when you got a new group together. I I think the the advantage Toronto has is the fact that you've got two players who – have been in that system for a long time. You got two players who have won a championship. You have two players who have seen success for a long time. I mean, it's just they, they just didn't start winning yesterday. So 
I think it's easier to get that buy-in when those two play, key players have seen it, they've tasted it, they smelt it, uh, winning that championship, and even before that, you know, continuously in the playoffs. So I think the buy-in is easier, Eric, from that standpoint. Now, when you go to, um, you know, say, for instance, a young man, a guy like James Harden going to a new team, you know, he has an experience success with the Philadelphia 76ers, nowhere near the level that Pascal and, and uh, Fred has for their team. So it, it's a little bit easier when you've got an experienced group who's been there before numerous times, even when they were young guys coming in and not playing very much as their rookies and sophomores in, in a playoff setting, but they've been there multiple times. So it's easy for those two and for everybody else behind them, for Trent and for, for Barnes and all those guys to fit in and toe the line when you've got your two main guys who've seen it and done it before. So it's a little bit different. Uh, you know, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how Harden feel, uh, fits in to uh, uh, the Philly system, new to the table, new to the game, new to that team in pressure situations and see how he falls in. But uh, uh, I would say, you know, Toronto is one of the best teams in the league of playing unselfish, playing together, uh, and that comes from many, many years of success. And and uh, really, uh, it's ingrained in them, and everybody else has to step in line. Case, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about that. And, you know, one of your favorite phrases always always stayed with me when a team wasn't going good. You said, just hope that roulette ball doesn't land on your square that night. And James Harden hasn't been – he hasn't been going all that well. But if you're Toronto, right, right. what can you do to – to, to, to put some wind on the roulette ball so it doesn't land on your square. Like, how do you right. continue to try and bottle him up? Because you know once that, that horse gets out of the barn, it's, it's, he's going to be yeah. tough to run down. No question. And that's what you hope, being a Raptor fan, and the fact that you hope that he doesn't, you know, get that juice, that playoff, those playoff juices going. And one thing we used to do there in Toronto and – I tell you what, I give Norm Powell a lot of credit. When he was there, we used to put him on him, picking him up full court. Uh, you know, he was like the rabbit, you know, just wearing, trying to wear Harden down, just putting pressure on him. Because what he likes to do, he likes to rest as he's coming up the floor. And if you have somebody, a young guy full of, of vinegar and everything, picking him up full court, that will wear him down, and that puts a lot of stress and pressure on him. Now he's got to bring it full court. Now he's got to make a play in half court. And, you know, for someone who plays as methodical and, and uh, strategically as James Harden does, he doesn't really like that. So uh, you can give him a di- lot of different looks, whether it's picking him up full court. Uh, we used to drop Valanchunas all the way back to the restricted line and wait for him to come there because what Harden wants to do is you penetrate the paint. And now all at once, you know, there's the lob, there's the kick out or whatever. So, we always put uh, uh, Jonas back there in the restricted area, pick him up full court, and let him come in the Venus fly trap down at the basket. So, But, again, the other way you can do it is double-teaming and mm-hmm. make sure you get the ball out of his hands. But then now you do open up the floor for other shooters, uh, and uh, that's something that I think that Philly is missing right now is three-point shooting. Uh, after they lost Seth Curry, they're trying to develop that personality with Danny Green and, and Kirk Moss and – and uh, all their other per, uh, perimeter shooters. So that's something that you really have to look at. But there's a lot of different ways to try to give them different looks 
but like you said, Jonesy, you just want to hope because even all the pickups and the double teams, because he's seen it all now, uh, yeah. it's not going to slow him down if he's in playoff mode. Speaking with Dwayne Casey, head coach of the Detroit Pistons, Raptors Sixers going tomorrow, 6 o'clock Eastern, game one right here on the fan. All right, Dwayne, we, we've talked about this from, I guess, sort of a, a, a pro-Raptors perspective, if this is what Toronto needs to do. Dwayne, I'm sure you're not going to give me the playbook here. You know, the next season doesn't start for six months, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you don't want to reveal your hand. But that said, if there's one team that has given Toronto a lot of fits and spurts and a lot of issues this season, last couple of seasons – it's the Detroit mm-hmm. Pistons. So what right. is it Philly could do or should do to try mm-hmm. and slow down, stop, neutralize Fred, Pascal, et cetera? Like why have you had and the Pistons had the success you have and what could Philly try to mimic or do? Well, we were fortunate enough to play well the nights that, that we played Toronto. But one thing you got to do, the head of the snake is Pascal. you got to do everything and anything because I think he's playing. He should have been an all-star. There's no question about that. Uh, he should be all pro, you know, first and second team all pro this year. And, and if you slow him down, that puts a lot of pressure on everyone else because he's a quasi-point forward for that team. And uh, he brings the ball up. He sets the table. You suck in on penetration. He kicks it out. Uh, so you really got to control him, handle him, keep your body between him and the basket. Uh, you know, ever since Pascal's been a young kid, he's always spent to the spin to the baseline, and he's going to spin. So you got to make sure you are ready for that spin and have a body there, a big body there to give him a wall and try to disrupt him that way. But it's it sounds easy. It's not easy. Um, <clears throat> we were fortunate enough to to catch him, you know, in those situations. Uh, the guy that really concerned me, who is who, two guys, two that really are aces in the hole for that team is, are, is one, Gary Trent. Gary Trent can get his shot at any time on anybody. So that's one thing you have to really also, once you slow try to slow Pascal down, you've got to try to, <laughs> excuse me, slow, slow down Gary Trent because he is a scoring machine for that team. And now you had a Scotty Barnes who is also a point forward. So you have multiple ball handlers around there that you got to make sure you slow down and keep a big body on. You can't put a small guy on Barnes. You can't put a small guy on on uh, Trent. <clears throat> and then the other other factor coming in off the bench is Achua. I think he's playing at a high level. Uh, I think it's this you know young guy that I think people kind of sleep on. And you can't. You got to know that when he's spotted up uh, in the corner and make sure you know where he is as far as the spot of shooting. And uh, we haven't even talked about Fred yet. So. Mm. You hope that he's off that night. I think had Fred had an off night when we beat him here in Detroit. He didn't play in one of the games in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in Toronto. So, but you really got to. And there's as soon as Fred comes across half court, you have to pick him up because his range is is uncanny and unbelievable for a man his size. Uh, so you have a lot of issues. I think you have to give that team different looks. And again, uh, you just knowing a lot of the actions, a lot of the plays they're running, and knowing some of the personalities and plays of players, you know, it helps. And uh, but again, they're I think they've done a heck of a job of coming together, blending together, coming on had a rough year to start, but kind of like everyone else, you know, has grown and gotten better as the year went on, and they're peaking at the right time. So uh, Toronto is going to be a, a tough out for anybody, but you know, again. 
uh, everyone has their strengths and weaknesses, and, and I'm sure Philly's sitting there tonight or all this week trying to figure them out. But uh, Joel Embiid is, is for real, and I think he's mature and playing at a more mature level uh, right now than he ever has all year. And then in the past years, I think that Toronto's played him in the playoffs. So I'm sure they'll give him different looks and different uh, feels as far as what – and I think just reading Embiid's comments – that uh, he's talking about, you know, he's expecting different looks and and uh, that type of thing. So I'm sure they've worked on a lot of double teams. And and uh, the interesting thing is is how you will double team him at the free throw line and try to get the ball out of his hands there because they have a certain package of certain spots guys have to get to, a lot like we did in Dallas with Nevinsky when he isolated at the uh, free throw line. Then they'll have counters from where you come from on the double team. So I think he's more lethal when they, you try to double team him at the free throw line than anywhere else on the floor, because now he sees everything. He has a feel for where guys are coming from. And when we played him, uh, we beat him here in, in Detroit. Uh, and it, that was one of our most difficult things to guard was his free throw line ISOs, especially if you get a switch on him. Well, uh, E to your first part of this question Dwayne has a little side hustle. I'm sure he sold those tapes to Doc Rivers about what to do against him. <laughs> uh, no, no, Case, no. I, look, I wouldn't do that to my man Fred and Pascal at all. Uh, they're, they're my guys. And and uh, I tell the story about Pascal coming in and, and playing as a rabbit. I tell our young guys that now if you keep working and keep your nose to the grind, you know, because people forget he started his rookie year until we traded for Serge, and then that's when he went down – back and forth to the 905, and I can't say enough of great things about the work that Pascal, and also Fred, but mainly mm-hmm. Pascal, because of where he came from, where he started. Uh, he worked his way into the lineup and, and did a great job of, of developing himself and making himself into the player he is. Uh, but people forget he started his rookie year, and he, he was our rabbit, running the floor. He set the tone each and every night. And now he's a max player, and and uh, very few very few teams in this league have you know two I, I call them two all stars because Fred's an all star and and Pascal should have been. Casey, you mentioned a little bit there about uh, Joel Embiid around the free throw line and the elbow area. Um, he's he's doing a lot more of that now. People think of Embiid as this classic big guy. Yes, he can hurt you down in the post, but. <clears throat> Uh, to me, that's when he seems to turn it over more, when you're you're taking away his time yeah. and space with his back to the basket. And now mm-hmm. Doc has him operating where he can see everything mm-hmm. in front of him. How much more difficult mm-hmm. does that make it to, to, to kind of surprise him, double-team him, jump him, force those turnovers? Huge, because like I said, two, three years ago, when, it, when Joel was trying to find his way in the league, his position in the league, where he was, his comfort level was down in the low post where, you know, he could over oversize people, just overpower people. And now at the free throw line, even if they you don't switch and keep a big guy on him, he's such a gifted passer right now that he can see the floor. He sees that's an easy shot for him turning around. There's very few people can look at him eyeball to eyeball. And and so he, that's a great comfort level for him now. So now he has low post, which he has an advantage. And also he has the free throw line situation, especially when teams are trying to switch one through five. And he's right there where he can turn around and, 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 and see the floor, see the basket. Again, 
we tried a little bit of everything uh, on him. We tried to come from certain people. We had Corey Joseph going and double team, and we had three or four things we were trying to, to run at him. But if you do it too many times, he's grown and matured enough as a basketball player that he will pick you apart if you try to show him the same look each and every time. So I'm sure the Raptors will give him different looks, and if you keep one on too long, he will burn you. But I just don't know. The, the X factor, like we talked about earlier, is how, you know, is, is, uh, is Harden going to be the James Harden of old? Now, if he's James Harden of old, it's tricky to double-team him right there because they position him where he can get it and, and make a play from there. But uh, they're they're a, a forceful team when he has the ball at the at the free throw line, and if you have a James Harden that's really playing at a high level. So uh, I'm sure Danny Green's going to be fired up to go back in uh, against the Raptors. He probably feels like he knows them and knows what they're going to do. So I'm probably I'm sure he's probably shared a lot of. Of valuable tidbits about the Raptors and what they may try to do to Joel and and Flair. Uh, so it's going to be a nip and tuck game, uh, like all All Star games, and it may be something I always say subtle that you know everybody says, "Oh, coach has got to make adjustments." But I promise you, each coach is going to be making uh, subtle changes in what they're going to try to do uh, uh, from from the jump ball to the end of the game of each game. Hey, Dwayne, we'll, we'll let you go in a couple of minutes here. Before we do, I wanted to ask okay. you, um, outside of Raptors and Pistons, or excuse me, Raptors and Sixers, mm-hmm. heck, Pistons hopefully next year, um, but the, the, <laughs> the, the teams that are there, maybe we could even ask you this about mm-hmm. the Western Conference too. Mm-hmm. I kind of tend right. to look at this, Dwayne, that I can't really put my finger on who is the mm-hmm. quote-unquote best team or which team I think has a better chance than another of making it to, let alone winning the championship. I feel like I could make a case for four, five, six teams in the East and maybe just as many in the West. Are you leaning one way more than the other, or do you see it being wide open as well? Well, one team that we did not have success against, and we're a young team. We're starting, what, four your first and second-year guys, and, and you know, sometimes Corey is in and out of but. One team we had no shot uh, of beating, and we did beat them in Milwaukee, was Milwaukee at the end. They were toying with us from the jump ball to the end, and I just don't know of any team that's playing at a higher level in the East as Milwaukee right now. Milwaukee is is on a different level, and the worst thing that our league could have done for Milwaukee is let them taste success last year. And it's just I, I remind people here that, uh, it's just like Michael Jordan. When Michael won his first uh, first championship, it was a wrap. And I think <laughs> I'm afraid that that's what it's that's what it is now with Giannis and and uh, his crew. They've got everything. They can play big. They can play small. They can play him at center. With, and if you call that small, I, I, you know it's scary because he's six eleven, seven foot, seven five wingspan. So they have everything. They have outside shooting. They have defense. Uh, they're scary in the East, and uh, again, I'm sure they they have weaknesses, but uh, their plan, I think they played it as smart as they've ever had in a while in the fact that they, they're peaking at the right time right now. So uh, in the East, I think that uh, they're the team to beat, in my opinion, uh, Eric, and then in the West, I think Monty Williams is the coach of the year. He's done a, a, a magnificent job with that group. Uh, you're going to have to beat them. They're not going to beat themselves. And, you know, with Chris Paul on the floor, he's their second head coach on the floor. He reminds me a lot of Kyle. And when Kyle was playing 
He's so smart, uh, and he has that, that leadership package that, uh, you know, he doesn't allow teammates to make too many mistakes. So I think Phoenix, uh, from a, uh, intellect, I, IQ stand, from an IQ standpoint, a basketball standpoint, uh, they have everything. But now when you talk about athleticism, youthfulness, uh, Memphis is scary from that standpoint because they have so many good athletes. They're young. They don't know what they don't know. And, and they're playing with a, a swag that uh, is off the charts. And so I think they have an opportunity to play at that level uh, athletically now that where they may get in trouble with the, with the Western teams is the fact that the experience and the IQ that Phoenix has. But uh, uh, those are probably two, but I still go with Phoenix mm. just because of that experience. And then in the East, you know, if we can't be in the party, then I definitely – Milwaukee, um, you know, I'm pulling for Pascal and, and Fred, but um, Milwaukee is, is a team that's, uh, that's dangerous uh, the way they're playing right now. They, I, I thought throughout the year they were kind of floating – through the year, but uh, they're, they're at the right time. They're clicking and playing at a very, very high level. Case, I want to jump off uh, the basketball path for a second. Eric and I okay. talked briefly. Okay. April 15th, uh, Jackie Robinson breaks the color line, and you and I have talked about this, and I don't mm-hmm. remember what number it was. Were you mm-hmm. what, what number African-American player were you at Kentucky after the integration? It wasn't, you were what, five, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there? Right. Well, it's, it's funny because Truman Clayton and I, people laugh, say, well, you say you were five and six. Well, you can, I'm five or six because Truman Clayton and I came in at the same time, the right. young man from uh, Cleveland, uh, from Toledo, Ohio. So I say five, you say five or six, but uh, it, we were the only two, and I never forget Jonesy. When uh, we won, we didn't make the NCAA my freshman year. We won the NIT, but uh, people said we had to they, that the team had too many African Americans. I think at the time we had three or four that year. I think it was maybe four. And now you look at them and see how time has changed and and that type of thing. Uh, you know, we went through a lot at Kentucky, and and times have changed so much then. But uh, you know, just to see the integration of SEC basketball, the NBA, uh, you listen to Jackie Robinson says, I just would love to see a third baseman, African-American third base coach. And he didn't say manager because that wasn't even thought of back then. Yeah. But uh, yeah. to see how things have changed, and I think Adam Silver has done a great job of diversity, whether it's, uh, you know, African-Americans, females, you know, different races and, and uh, uh, you know, countries that people are from. You look at our officials, we have a diverse officiating crew, uh, and that's all because of Adam. He's done a great job of that. Um, and, you know, I would say this with Masai. Masai has done a great job of, of really introducing basketball, helping introduce him and Amadou Fall. Uh, they're doing a great job in Africa where there's hundreds and hundreds of African players that are going to be in the NBA at some point, and they're doing a great job of grooming that group of people, not only about basketball, but Masai does a great job of of talking to them about life, being on time, discipline, you know, uh, doing away with the, with the uh, I guess, uh, stereotype of an African player is, that he can't think, that he just he's just athletic, and Masai's done a great job of teaching that. So our league – 
right now from where Jackie Robinson was. You know, everybody wanted to be like Jackie Robinson growing up. I mean, it was just like, you know, the Mm -hmm. only thing my grandfather talked about was Jackie Robinson. And to tell you a little side note, too, at the University of Kentucky, Happy Chandler was on our board of trustees, and he was the commissioner of baseball when Jackie Robinson uh, broke in. He was the one who gave gave Branch Ritchie Branch Ritchie, the permission to give Jackie Robinson the contract. And so Happy used to tell me stories all the time about, you know, how, how great a person Jackie Robinson was. You know, you want to be like Jackie Robinson. You know, he said if he hadn't, uh, he said if I hadn't let that boy in the league, I wouldn't have been able to meet my maker. So uh, just so many stories that he told about how great a person Jackie Robinson was and, how he could see how he would help uh, grow baseball and integrate baseball. And it was a lot of pressure not to, but uh, Mm -hmm. they did. And we are standing here, Jonesy, you're in your position because of it. I'm in position of being head coach of three different NBA teams because of it. And uh, I'm sure Wayne Emery will say the same thing. We all are thankful for the Jackie Robinsons of the world. Well, Case, I said it here. He changed the face of team sports. I mean, we had individuals mm-hmm. like Joe Lewis and Jesse mm-hmm. Owens. We had individuals, but when it came to mm-hmm. team sports, Jackie breaking the color line, I think changed the face of of of, of sports forever no around the world. That's just my feeling. No, and not only the talent, Jonesy, but the kind of person he was. If they had yes. any kind of Yahoo in that position, you know, and then he failed, it would have never happened. So yeah. they, you know, the powers to be did a great job of selecting the right individual, the right man of character, uh, of, of uh, not only character but the talent to to represent that position. Uh, you know, was a godsend because it could have went the other way. Hey, Dwayne, we appreciate the time of the show, and and I know I speak for Jonesy as well, but I but but even just my own personal standpoint, I love talking basketball, I love talking sports, but have always enjoyed the conversations about life. And, yes, and, and history and perspective as well. Thank you. Uh, so thanks, thanks very much for that as well, Dwayne. Thank you so. So don't Mr. Case. Me and don't forget about don't forget about the Pistons now because we we have the most cap room in the league next year. We one of the top teams. We're going to get a top pick, unfortunately, unfortunately. So we we're on our way back, and I think we're one of the teams a lot like Toronto, kind of changed the uh, the turn the corner on a, after the All Star break. So. Uh, we're we're growing, we're developing, uh, and we're going to get there. And, and at some point, we're going to talk be talking about the Pistons being in the playoffs. Love it, love it. Can't wait. It'll All right, Case, bring the rivalry okay. back. Thanks, Dwayne. <laughs> All right, Dwayne. Okay, Eric. Okay, see you, Jonesy. There is Dwayne Casey, head coach of the Detroit Pistons, and uh, you know I know I know he has to say that as the uh, head coach of the team, Jonesy. But at the same time. I agree with him. I, I think it's yeah. not going to be long. In fact, it could be as early as next year where we're talking about a, a Detroit team trying to knock on the playoffs because they got a lot of young talent. They got a lot of good chemistry and cohesion. And I think uh, as proven in Toronto and other stops as well, they got the right guy for that young team who teaches these young players so well. And I don't doubt that the Pistons will be knocking on that door in no time. Yeah, E, last comment here before we go to break. Dwayne had Detroit in the playoffs before losing to Milwaukee. And then they decided to rebuild. And remember, when the rebuild started in Toronto, it was the third year that he cracked through. Next year, that's the third year. Look out. Toronto went 23, 34, boom, 48. 
So just look out for Detroit next year. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review, download and share as well. We'll be back with more in a moment. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith and Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Game one of the Raptors and Sixers goes on Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern. The NBA postseason officially beginning tomorrow uh, with the first game tipping off at 1 o'clock uh, with the Utah Jazz and the Dallas Mavericks. Later on, it's Minnesota Memphis, then that Toronto Philly game, final game of the evening, Denver Golden State before the rest start on Sunday to talk about the NBA postseason and more. Uh, longtime NBA vet and from ESPN. Tim Legler. Tim, thanks for the time today. Hey, guys. How's you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, All thanks. Good. Thanks for joining All us. All good, Legs. Hey, All hey, good, man. Sure. Tim, I want to start with something that we, we had Dwayne Casey on a couple of minutes ago, and, and we could reference a couple of things that Case said to us. But I want to go back to last hour as well. Another former NBAer that you'll know, of course, Alvin Williams on the show with us. And, and one of the things Al was saying, he was referencing Scotty Barnes, Tim, but this could be said about any rookie based on what Alvin was saying to us. And I'd be interested in your perspective. He was saying that the players in today's generation, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically what I was saying, the, 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 the players in today's generation don't seem as wide-eyed as perhaps 10 years ago, let alone 20, 30, 40 years ago, when guys would come into the league and think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm in the NBA, or walk into a locker room and, and get the butterflies looking at their jersey. Or, from the playoffs perspective, walking into the playoffs and being perhaps taken aback by the moment they seem more prepared for the big moments whether it be AAU whether it be just today's generation kind of coming in with that swagger that expectation like hey I was supposed to be here and while that might be a negative sometimes it's certainly a positive for a young player entering the postseason for the first time what do you think yeah and I would agree yeah I would agree with that actually and and it's been my my sort of take on it too and, and the amount of players I've been around, you know, over the last 10, 15 years and watching the evolution of the high school player to the AAU, to the college, to the pros. And there's no question, I think everything they're exposed to at, at such a young age and how big the events seem, even at 13, 14, 15 years old, these guys are already put on stages where the event seems massive and there's pressure there and there's a lot of coverage of it. There's a lot of attention thrown their way as a result. So everything starts to feel, you know, the, the, the big events feel second nature to these guys by the time they get to this place. And so there is a level of, I think, maturity in terms of not being, uh, the, having the moment be too big for them and not really feeling tight going into it. I think these guys are more confident than they've ever been. Scotty Barnes, an incredibly impressive player. I mean, really historically what he's done this year, you can say only a handful of guys have ever done that have played this many minutes and been this impactful on both ends of the floor on a really good team. It just doesn't happen like that. Not all of those things combined. We've seen guys obviously start, put up big numbers as rookies, a lot of times on bad teams. 
We've seen other guys play a little bit more of a role, a role or rotational player on, on decent to good teams. And then you might have a guy that, you know, gets his feet wet a little bit on a championship caliber team. Rarely do you see a guy be thrust out there and, and get this kind of exposure, this many minutes on both ends of the floor impact to the extent that he does on a team that actually can make some noise. It's, it's just, it's unusual. So he's, he's had an incredible year. There's no doubt about it. Legs, I know you're you live in the Philadelphia area, uh, and, and you know what kind of a, a, a tough town, a tough place it can be. Um, how much pressure's on? Uh, let's let's put the list out there. How much pressure's on James Harden? How much pressure's on Joel Embiid, Doc Rivers, heck, Daryl Morey for that matter, uh, with this first round series against Toronto? Yeah, man, all of them for all different reasons. And if I if I ranked them in order. Uh, of the guy that's got the most down to the least, uh, it's clearly the most is James Harden. Not just the most pressure on their team and their situation. He's got the most pressure of any player by far in the entire postseason. And honestly, one of the one of the players with the most pressure on him that I've seen in recent memory. I mean, that's the extent that I would take it to. So for him to come out the other day and say he's got nothing to prove, it doesn't feel any pressure. I just literally, I was think I was eating soup at the time and I spit it across the room when I heard that <laughs> quote because it had to be one of the most disingenuous, disingenuous, like false bravado uh, comments I've ever heard out of a guy because what he was trying to do was say, for public consumption, I want you all to think, meaning media and fans, uh, nothing you can say or do to me is going to get in my head or affect me. My life is good either way, no matter how it goes. And nothing could be further from the truth because to say he has nothing to prove, he has more to prove than any player in the postseason because of his failings in the postseason at critical times in Houston. And so he carries that with him. And now people wonder, can this guy you know, handle this kind of pressure? And by the way, he's never played in a market like this. I mean, Philadelphia yeah. – one thing I'll say about them, there's a couple things they will not forgive. One thing they won't forgive, and this is why Ben Simmons had to go, they don't forgive fear. They don't understand fear, and that's what Ben Simmons exhibited last summer. He was afraid of the moment, and people don't relate to that in a blue-collar town, a guy making that kind of money that's a number one pick, that's an elite-level athlete, and is that um, rattled. People don't relate to that. So you, it's hard to, to continue to survive in that environment. You have to go somewhere else. The other thing is a carefree attitude where they don't come off like I will die to win because that's how the Philadelphia fans feel. Now, they'll take bad performances. They just can't take a guy if they feel like you came off small because of the pressure or if it didn't mean that much to you in the first place. And that's what James Harden said the other day, so it was mind-boggling to me. So he clearly has the most pressure. He has to answer the bell. If he's not the second-best player in this series – they're going to lose because I expect Embiid to be phenomenal. If he's not the second-best player, if Sayakam outplays him or Van Vliet outplays him, the Sixers are going to lose this series. But on, on down the line, Embiid, yeah, he's got a lot of pressure because he's also had some playoff issues. You guys beat him the year he went to the championship, and he didn't play well in that series, and he was sick, and there was a lot of stuff going on. He didn't play well against Boston in the bubble when they got knocked out. So, he, yeah, he's got a lot to prove. But I have a lot of confidence that what I've seen this year. I, I think he will be great in this series. Doc Rivers has a ton. He lost a bunch of 3-1 leads as a head coach. And people in Philadelphia right now, if you listen to talk radio down there, nobody has faith in Doc Rivers. They think that this coaching matchup in this series is a complete mismatch. And they're worried about the adjustments because they don't have a deep bench as it is. And what if Harden's not playing well? 
is Doc Rivers know what to do to generate offense from other guys? What you know? What do you go to? Late game management, all that. And then the last guy would be Maury, and clearly he he put the entire you know the entire franchise really on this trade because he waited two thirds of a year. Didn't make other trades. Could have had C.J. McCollum. Didn't make that trade. He goes with this, and he basically convinces everybody. No, no, no. This is the guy. I know this guy. He was in Houston with me, and he's the guy that's going to get us to a place we haven't been in 40 years as a franchise. And so this is what we're going to give up to get him, and I'm banking on it. And so his reputation is on the line here, too, with James Harden. Not to mention the fact James Harden could leave if he wanted to. Um, and, and you might have to give him $200 million even if he bombs in this series. So he's under a lot of pressure, too. So anyway, you slice it, guys, yes, there's a vast amount in Philly, and they are feeling it. Believe me, it's a very nervous city. Speaking with Tim Legler from ESPN. Tim, let me switch gears and look at some of the other series around the association. And I'm not sure if it gets much more intriguing than Brooklyn and Boston. I mean, that could be an Eastern Conference final matchup right off the bat. But but how do you see that one playing out and the pressure that are, is on both sides of the ball for both teams in this series? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, obviously Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are capable any given night right of winning any game because they're that good offensively and they have answers because of their mid-range ability and and you know they can basically score from anywhere on the floor and they have great escapability with their handles so like they're just a really tough pair to corral now you can hope that they have bad nights and you can do something to affect that and if they do then they don't have much else i mean i think they're i don't love their bench and i and i don't think you can necessarily count on other guys to generate offense so if you can get one of them to struggle, but they're clearly good enough to win game after game every night they play. Um, I don't know that there's an immense amount of pressure on them because this whole season has not been what they expected. I mean, the whole situation with Harden leaving, Simmons comes in, never even suits up for them. Kyrie doesn't play with 30 games. It's just been a weird year, and they're coming from a play-in spot to try to roll through the East. I feel like the pressure's off of a little bit. I do feel like they're becoming a darling pick because of what people saw the other night, how good those guys were in that first play-in game. That now all of a sudden, oh, the Nets are gonna, you know, they're gonna beat the Celtics. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not falling for it. I think, I think this is Jason Tatum's moment. If he wants a seat at the big table, or if he wants to, another expression I use is go go into the deep end of the pool with guys like KD and LeBron and Steph Curry and Giannis and Jokic and Luka. You want to be in that category, what better place to start than with Kevin Durant in front of you? They're going to guard each other a lot. You have to outplay him. He's had an incredible year. He has to make a statement in this series and get this team past Kevin Durant and on to the next round. And I think they will. And the reason is because I think those four stars, including Jalen Brown, they'll kind of offset each other on a given night in terms of scoring. That's when I go to the rest of the Celtics team. Their team defense, their bench um, the, Ime Udoka, I, I, I have a lot of faith in Ime Udoka. I've really been impressed with what he's done the second half of the year with that team. And they have a Marcus Smart factor as the big X factor in that series. I like Boston to win that series, but there's, there's pressure. But for me, it's Jason Tatum's moment. This is what you made a statement about this year. Then pull that seat up to this table with the guys I mentioned and take your place. But you've got to get past Kevin Durant, and you've got to outplay him in the process. And I know that's a tall order, but I think he's capable and he's got a lot of support with that defense. Hey, hey Legs, I like the fact that Ime Udoka figured if we're going to beat Milwaukee, we need home court. So let's take Brooklyn in the first round and not, you know, soft shoe it and, and lose that game on purpose and get an easier first round. Like, hey, 
like let's get through it. Let's beat Durant. Let's get home court because the team, the next team that I want to throw at you is Milwaukee. I think they're really, really underplayed by people. We just had Dwayne Casey on who said everybody should be worried now because Giannis finally cracked the code last year and it could be lights out. Yeah, I think they're the best team in the Eastern Conference. I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm picking them to go to the finals unless something changes here, you know, early in these rounds, and I see something different out of one of these other teams, or they have an injury, or who knows. I going in, I look at them and I say they've got three stars healthy. They went through this a year ago. Giannis, as you said, answered the bell, and the most important thing is he learned and and, and he demonstrated he could beat you with finesse. He could beat you with the finesse parts of the game, which is free throw shooting, occasionally mix in a mid-range shot. And now this year, he's added, he's, he's pretty good now with that turnaround jumper in the post going toward the baseline over his right shoulder. He really likes that shot, and he's been making it at a high level. And look, at 6'11", as athletic as he is, you're not really going to bother him on that shot. So it's just a matter of, do you have the touch? You know, with all those giant hands and that physical strength, can you make a turnaround 16-foot shot or a 12-foot shot? And he's been doing it this year. So he knows in his mind now, you know, it's like you've exercised the demons, man. They're, you know, it's like getting rid of the boogeyman finally as a kid. Like, you, you finally <laughs> get past that moment, right? And you know there's nobody under the bed anymore. And so now it's, okay, I'm free. And, and now when a guy like that talented is free, and they know they've done it confidence they must have the other thing that's key is they got Lopez back and I can't say enough how important he is man he's one of the best he's a unique player because he hurts you from the three draws fives out there that have to help on Giannis in the paint recover to him it's a nightmare and then he's one of the best rim protectors in the league so you get him back just at the right time Connaughton comes back to me the Bucks right now are the most whole I don't really see anything I can pick apart and say yeah this could be a reason they lose um, so early on, I, I think they're the favorite for me, and I think they probably beat the Bulls in five games. All right, Tim, listen, we got about a minute left. You know how that goes. So we're tight on time, but you gave me who's coming out of the East. What about the West? Yeah, look, Phoenix, it's their year. I, I mean, I'd be surprised if it's not them. Sometimes you look at a team and go, man, they just have it. They have it on both ends. They have the best role definition in the league. Um, guys stay in their lane on that team better than any team I've seen. They do not do anything they're not capable of doing. Great leadership at the point. Big-time wing scorer that can score from anywhere, which you have to have one of those. A two-way center. Um, great coaching. Their bench is better than it was a year ago. I look at it like this, man. If they don't win it this year, they're not going to win it. You know, Because next year, you think about it, Denver gets those guys back. Uh, they're going to be better than they've got Kawhi Leonard probably back in the mix next year, most likely. The Warriors start off the year probably healthy next year. Like it, This is their year to get this done, and that's why I think the other guy that I would say has pressure but is different, it's more at stake than what he's under pressure is Chris Paul. This, he's running out of time. You know, He wants this on his resume. If he doesn't do it now, I don't know they'll do it because they have been head and shoulders the best team in the NBA, and I expect them – to come out, but I, I think Memphis, and I think if Steph Curry looks like Steph Curry in this first round, Golden State, is, if you haven't heard the last of them, I would not be surprised if it's Golden State Phoenix for the conference finals and not Memphis if Steph Curry looks like he's right. So that's, to me, the compelling part of what's going on in the West. But it, it's Phoenix's year unless something crazy happens. And if it doesn't happen, guys, I, I just, I'm afraid it, it just won't. This was their window, and this was their best opportunity when you look at some of these teams in the West. 
Hey, Tim, always great stuff, man. Love having you on. Appreciate this. And, uh, Thanks, we'll Legs. Chatting again soon. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll chat, man. Let's, let's talk again some point later on in this series. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be watching this closely. Believe I'm more, com- more intrigued by the Toronto Philly series than any by far. All awesome. right. Thanks, Tim. Deal. Deal. All right. You got it. There is Tim Legler from ESPN, of course, a former NBAer as well. Ten years in the association and love having him on. Jonesy, it flew by, oh. and we're going to get set for game one, 6 o'clock Eastern on Saturday evening right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and on City News as well. Man, it's going to be fun. Can't wait. Best time of the year. Grown men playing for a ring. The intensity is off the chart, and... uh I'm ready for a couple months, man. I'm locked in. I'm locked in. Let's do it. Smith & Jones, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please download, rate, review, and share as well. Thanks to Mike Gentile and Andrew Holland. We'll be back again real soon and back again with Game 1 on Saturday. All the best, folks.